Welcome into the sixth episode of a sports podcast that captures everything you want to know as the buzzer sounds at the end of any sports game. It's Will Farlow here with you this afternoon on February 9th, 2018, welcoming listeners to the sixth episode of Will's Fifth Quarter Special. I'm here this afternoon with my guest co-host, Neil Doyle. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you so much. We are going to touch on various key subjects, starting with the Illinois State women's and men's basketball teams and where each team stands in the Missouri Valley Conference play. The NFL championship game took place Sunday in a close matchup that ended with the Philadelphia Eagles winning the title and bringing the Lombardi Trophy home to Philadelphia. We will recap that game and what we could expect in the upcoming NFL offseason. As Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson return to face the Chicago Bulls tonight for the first time, what can we expect the Bulls to answer it with tonight at the United Center? The NBA trade deadline ended yesterday at 2 p.m. with a whirlwind of trades, especially on the end of the rebuilding Chicago Bulls. Do the new players and first rounder they acquired help them moving forward? We will have updates on any action in the new NFL offseason for the Chicago Bears, as well as touching on, if necessary, the MLB winter offseason with the Cubs and White Sox, Followed by Will Sports Movie Moment. So, Neil, we're going to go and start with Illinois State women's basketball. And you and I were on the call for this one down here on campus. That, that win against Valparaiso Sunday was great, but this team is in a really good direction this year. You can see that under new coach Kristen Gillespie. And it's just good to see something better this year compared to last year. I think just the environment. And I was talking to Katrina a few days ago for an interview for a class project. The chemistry, she just talked about that leadership that they have. So we're going to touch on the first question here to you. So the Redbirds, they won 57-49. to And they're going to go against Southern Illinois tonight. So have they taken the next step in year one of Coach Gillespie's era, would you say? Well, they're definitely in the rebuild, uh, like you said, under the new first-year head coach, Kristen Gillespie. But she's really starting to change the culture. I think that's really been the the key phrase that people have been talking about. She's changing the way things happen. I mean, everybody knows the women's program, if you follow ISU women's basketball, hasn't been very good over the last four to five years. Really, over the last 10 years, they haven't been where they once were before. Uh, but, you know, Kristen Gillespie has come in. She's bringing in some big recruits. She's, she has a pretty big recruiting class coming in next year. But she's doing as good of a job as you would want in year number one with kind of the card she's been dealt. I mean, this is a team she wasn't able to recruit. Uh, but you can just tell they've already doubled the wins or they've already matched that total of wins that they had last year. Uh, they're on a little two-game winning streak, as you mentioned, the win against Valpo in their last game. And now they're going – uh, to Southern Illinois tonight, a team that Southern Illinois is seven and four. ISU is just four and seven, and ISU actually beat the Saluki team uh, back at home a, a few weeks ago. So uh, this would be a huge win for them. They only have a handful of games left uh, in the regular season, and right now I believe they are in sixth or seventh place in the Missouri Valley standing. So you're kind of playing right now. Also, if you if you play well enough down the end of this stretch you get out of playing in that first round game in the uh, tournament in Moline. You want to get out of that first round Thursday game. If you can play on Friday, that's what you're trying. But there's still a lot of games left here in the regular season. You want to take it one game at a time. But you can definitely tell Kristen Gillespie is really kind of changing the culture of this team and, and putting them in the right direction. And you just touched on it right there. There's a lot of recruits to watch. And I think one we talked about on the call Friday this past weekend was Paige Taylor. And I think you saw Sunday Valpo – the, the, the Redbirds have faced a lot of adversity against teams. I think Coach Gillespie's touched on that numerous times this year. I mean, you're going to see that with a rebuild. And I, I, I'm i wondering, against Southern Illinois, now Paige Taylor, we noticed a lot this weekend. She's facing issues with the shot clock and possessions. 
How, what could we expect from, with, from the Redbirds and her tonight? Well, you know, Paige is a special player. As, as a freshman, she is playing a lot of minutes. I mean, I know she had a stretch to start the year where she was playing almost every minute of every game, which is a lot to ask for a freshman, especially having to run the point guard position, manning manning the basketball, manning the offense, kind of running the show. But she's done a really nice job, and you've seen her progress throughout the year. You talked about they did have a few times over their last two games where she might have gotten into the offense a little slower than you would like, uh, a lot of shots late in the shot clock, but that's something that that she'll learn as she progresses, but she'll be huge. I mean, along with some of those other players you mentioned, Katrina Beck, she has to play well down this stretch, but Paige is going to be a player to really watch out for, not only as this year kind of wraps up and as they head to the conference tournament in the beginning of March, but also, I mean, it's crazy to think she's still going to have three years to three develop. Three years, yeah, it's really great. To develop for under sure. Kristen Gillespie. And as we talked about, some of those recruits she'll get to bring in next year and the year after that. There's just a lot of positive signs, and really the arrows are pointing up for this women's basketball team. But I'm still excited to see what they can do. I mean, they won a game last year in the tournament. They won that opening round game and then were defeated by Drake, I believe it was, in that second round last year. But, you know, it starts tonight. Get another win. It's a little two-game road stretch. They have Southern Illinois tonight. Sunday then they head to Springfield to take on Missouri State. You would love to win both. If you get one, that's great. You don't want to come back 0-2, though. That, that's the big thing this no, weekend. No, exactly. Get the win maybe tonight against the Southern Illinois team, who you already beat once this year. It was a close game. We'll see what they can do. As Neil mentioned, the women's basketball team of Illinois State will head from Bloomington Normal. They won their last two games on at home at Doug Collins Court this past weekend. 57-49 against Loyola Chicago. 63-55 win over Valparaiso. They will tip off tonight at 6 p.m. in Carbondale, Illinois to face the Southern Illinois Salukis. Now we are going to head into the Illinois State men's basketball team who came off an impressive overtime win at Redbird Arena on Thursday night against the Southern Illinois Salukis, 76-68. Taylor Berninga, Elijah Clarence, two of the main leading scorers for the Redbirds, David Njai, but Neil, I think we got to touch on the elephant in the room. They had... Two players go down last night. Now, Keyshawn, he's already out with an injury, but Phil Fane, that was really scary for Redbird fans to see. A lot of fans in that arena, they're wondering what's going on. So my first question here, how do the injuries, you know, I mean, they, they beat Southern Illinois, but how can this win impact the Birds? Well, you, you talk about it, you hit on the injuries, that was huge. And Keyshawn Evans hurt this past Sunday against Evansville, so he was out, was not in the game. And then you mentioned Phil Fane in that second half, just about halfway through, went down with what appeared to be an ankle injury, came out, had it taped in ice right away. So there hasn't been any word as to how long he could be out. Will he play Sunday? I would be shocked if Phil Fane played uh, against Valparaiso on Sunday. But it it, it could be a huge impact because if he's out for an extended amount of time, now you've lost two of your best players. They're saying Keyshawn Evans could be out one to three weeks. He's been on a crutch. I don't know if you've seen him around campus Yeah, at all. yeah. I think I've talked to a few players that have said he's he's working up. And I think you were touching on it right there. It's going to be really important. Now, we're not seeing the 28-win team we saw last year, but that Redbird team is still pretty on fire this year. Well, and right now they're playing great basketball. They've won four straight games. As you mentioned, that win last night, I was fortunate enough to be on the call last night. A very them. great call, by the way. Thank you so much for WZND. So that was really fun and an exciting overtime game. But, yeah, with that win, they're now tied with, with SIU, pardon me, for second place in the Valley, which, which is crazy to think because just a few short weeks ago, this Redbird team was kind of didn't know where they were going to go. They right were almost, below in the barrel, yeah, they, exactly. I mean, they were almost in a spot where it looked like they were going to be playing on Thursday, the opening round of Arch Madness, but right now, now they're in second. I mean, their fate is in their hands, but really the big question is, 
where where's production production going to come if Evans and Fane are out until maybe even Arch Madness Fane we don't know how long Fane could be out and then it was also kind of concerning last night because Malik Yarborough did not play well in that second no, half. No, he didn't. He actually wasn't on the floor for the final two minutes of that game in regulation, which is crazy to think he's probably going to win Newcomer of the Year this year in the Valley with how well he has played. But he did not play well. It was great to see, though, as you kind of mentioned, Taylor Berninga and some of those other guys, Elijah Clarence, a career high, also William Tinsley and David Njai, all of them setting career high uh, points last night with Clarence having 15, Tinsley had 14, and then Njai ended with 13. It was a huge bench game for Illinois State. I believe it was they finished with, I want to say, 48 points off the bench last night. Very which impressive. Was, which was really the reason they won the game. Uh, they had the key players got shut down. That's what head coach Barry Hinson talked about in his press conference after the game. He said, we wanted to shut down Fane. We wanted to slow down Yarborough. That's what we did, and we still somehow lost, which was you know crazy to think. And give Illinois State a lot of credit in that win last night. But really the elephant in the room is – how long will Phil Fane be out? And the question is, will Evans be able to come back at all in the regular season, or are they going to have to wait for him to return until Arch Madness? I think you were touching on it right there. We saw a lot of key scorers. Now, I'm, I I love to see what we saw last night. I think we see with a lot of basketball teams. I'm going to go to the Chicago Bulls as an example. A few years ago, they had injuries you know, with Derrick Rose and that. But speaking in terms of the Redbirds here, players are stepping up. And if you're head coach Dan Moeller, you inherited a team that still had a really good core coming into this year. But they lost five of their top eight players last year. And I think I think Berninga's something fun to watch. I mean, I remember against Murray State earlier this year, he had 11 points, which was incredible. And William Tinsley, I think Coach Moore, and I'm sure you can touch on this with me as well, he really noticed that Tinsley was trying to work on that shot. And I think the Redbirds are hopefully going to fare pretty well Sunday with those guys, the way they're playing. Well, as you mentioned, it, it was definitely a new-look team coming into this year, and it didn't help either. It always feels like, when, when I talk to other people that always follow the Redbirds, I mean, Dan Muller has always been so unlucky when it comes to the injuries. Every year he, he battles something. Somebody's hurt to start the year. Somebody gets hurt middle of the year. Uh, but that's basketball, and, and he's touched on that before. He, injuries are a part of the game, but he's facing it again right now. I mean, he's got two of his best guys that could be out for some time to end the year, but you hope that guys, like we mentioned, Tindley, Elijah Clarence, who really got it going last night, David Njai is finally healthy, and you see how good he can be if he's healthy to end the season. You're going to have, have, have to have guys step up into these roles. We saw it last night. It's going to have to continue, and then you have to hope that Malik Yarbrough just continues to play at the level that he has so far this year. And Malik Yarbrough will continue to try and do that as the Illinois State Redbirds are heading on the road against Valparaiso. The last meeting between these two teams was a victory for the Redbirds at Redbird Arena. That tip-off will be Sunday at 3 p.m. in Valparaiso, Indiana. Now going into the professional sports area, we're going to open with the NFL championship we saw Sunday. Neil, a very impressive game. I believe we both were watching that. It was the Philadelphia Eagles, the NFC champions, under head coach Doug Peterson, another great assistant to you know Andy Reid. I think for our Bears, that's really good as well. And they're facing the New England Patriots. Now, I respect the Patriots for what they're doing, but I was very happy to see a 41-33 win against the Eagles. I always pull for that as my roommate would say, the upset, the middleman, that's trying to get up there and do his own thing. And I, I love what the Eagles did. So I'm going to start with you. It was a close game, but what surprised you in that championship game Sunday? Well, I, I think what surprised a lot of people was everybody knew how good Philadelphia was this year. You talked about it. Doug Peterson it, it did such a great job with this team, and they were really led because of how well Carson Wentz played throughout the year. But then obviously he suffered that injury towards the end of the year. And they had to go to Nick Foles. And 
Foles throughout the playoffs was really good, and then coming into the Super Bowl, everybody thought, well, you have that two-week period before the Super Bowl game from the NFL championship games. People were wondering, well, is this too much time to let the Patriots prepare for Nick Foles? Can he really come out on the biggest stage of them all and, and compete against Tom Brady, who is built the dynasty in New England. I mean, Nick Foles throws for 373 yards, a touchdown, three touchdowns, pardon me, and he catches a touchdown pass. It was impressive. I think he stole that from the Bears playbook. Yeah, that <laughs> was incredible. I don't think anybody saw the play of Nick Foles coming out in that game. And Tom Brady obviously played so well. I mean, he threw for 500 yards, three touchdowns, not one interception. But it was really it was the record-setting offensive game ever in the Super Bowl, the most points, the most passing yards. Uh, I just I didn't see it coming. I definitely thought New England would have it in the bag. I thought they were going to have way too much time to prepare for that Eagles team. And I mean, give the Eagles a lot of credit. They're great defensively. Offensively, they were still pretty good, even though Carson Wentz was hurt. But I did not see Nick Foles putting the performance on that he did. And really, I mean, that's why he won the MVP, rightfully so, because he really did lead that team to the victory. And I think that leads into my next question right there. So you see a lot of teams, you know, I think we saw that about four years ago with the Seattle Seahawks, that a lot of teams try to model off winning teams. And we saw that winning defense was so incredible. I'm predicting it right now. I think that's what a lot of teams, especially the Chicago Bears, you know, the Cleveland Browns, they're going to try and make a model out of I mean, we're seeing it with Sean McVay, but the Eagles team more. I mean, with that, with their strong offensive team, could you maybe see that dictating how teams go about their offseason? Well, I mean, I don't think at all the Eagles thought it was going to be Nick Foles if they were going to get to the championship game to be their starting quarterback. But you definitely saw a few years ago they take Carson Wentz, who was one of the top quarterbacks in his draft class. And it really is. You're looking at the NFL. It's all about the quarterback play. I mean, that's why the Bears last year take Mitch Trubisky with the second overall pick. They think he's the guy. You really do have to have that centerpiece at quarterback to, to lead you throughout the playoffs and to be able to win a Super Bowl. But, I mean, you look at the other pieces they have, too. I mean, they have a great backfield, Jay Ajayi, who they got at the trade deadline, LeGarrette Blunt, who used to be on the Patriots, so kind of ironic, playing his former former team. And they have some good wideouts as well, Nelson Aguilar. uh, Corey Clement was huge in that championship game. I mean, they have pieces all over the field offensively. Zach Ertz, one of the better tight ends. And then defensively, too, they've got some good pieces uh, you know, Long and a few of those other guys. So it definitely, like you said, you kind of try to mimic what championship teams do. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to see a lot of teams. Don't be surprised if you see four or five quarterbacks go in the first round of this year's draft because, really, it starts with that position. But, again, it wasn't the guy that I, I think a lot of people thought was going to get them to that game. It wasn't Carson Wentz. It was Nick Foles that did it for Philadelphia. I love Nick Foles, and I think that's going to help me close out my last question, something we haven't touched on yet, but it's been in the media so much. I think, you know, you see Stephen A. Smith out there. He's putting his words out there. Very uh, interesting fellow out there in the world of sports. But Malcolm Butler, I think, I mean, we were just touching on the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, when they faced the Patriots, he was that – x-factor in that game I mean that's what's I think kept them there a little bit credit to the New England Patriots secondary of course but I was talking about with you know my roommate and some of my friends I was watching the game with not seeing him in that game and I think the question I had was is that one of the reasons now there's a lot of other reasons the Patriots didn't win you know the Eagles played a close time and things happen but my question to you 
Could Malcolm Butler not playing be one of the maybe key reasons the Patriots didn't win? Oh, well, a lot of people said that was the reason. A lot of Patriots fans I know, I don't know if you're a Barstool guy or not, or if you follow Barstool yeah, Sports. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy. But, but the uh, El Presidente, as they call him, Dave Portnoy, who's a huge Patriots fan, he said, I mean, he said basically he was at the game, actually, and he didn't even know Malcolm Butler wasn't playing at all. He, he didn't even notice. Uh, so a lot of Patriots fans thought that was the case, but... I don't know. I mean, a lot of people thought that there was something that Butler must have done during preparation for the game, maybe violated a team rule. And everybody knows how stingy Bill Belichick is. Like, if you if you violate a Patriots rule, they're not going to let you play in the game. But they just thought they had a better chance without him. And everybody, as you touched on, he was the hero in that uh, Seahawks game when the Patriots won. I was shocked he didn't play. I, I, he's one of the better cornerbacks on their team. I mean, yes, he, he was you know an undrafted uh, player, and he's really worked his way up. And he, he did struggle at times this year, but, I mean, he's very athletic. I'm surprised he, he didn't at least see some time in that game. And could it have been the difference? Maybe. Maybe he makes a play. I mean, it, guys like that that make plays late in games, I mean, you kind of want them on the field. But I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know if you could really put it solely on him not being in there, but it definitely could be a reason maybe why they didn't win. And I think just going off Malcolm Butler there, we have a recent NFL early offseason report on the Chicago Bears. As we talked about before, the Chicago Bears on Will Smith's court, especially they're trying to build in the right direction. And we're seeing a report that three teams now are fits for a former Raiders cornerback. That is David Emerson. We at Will's Fifth Quarter Special will keep you updated on everything Chicago Bears, especially in the offseason, as they try and build a contender. Now going into the Chicago Bulls, Neil, this hits a little bit closer to home as the trade deadline just ended. And we're going to recap the listeners here. We had three deals the Bulls closed out, starting with Nikola Mirotic. That was the one trade Bulls fans were hoping for. Nikola Mirotic and a 2018 second rounder that was given to the Bulls by the Pelicans in the Quincy Pondexter trade, went to New Orleans for Tony Allen, Omer Ashik, Jameer Nelson, this year's first rounder from the Pelicans, and the rights to swap a 2021 pick. They followed that up with a surprise deal of Willie Reed and a future second round pick from Detroit for Jameer Nelson and the rights to swap picks in 2022. And then a really surprise deal, I think, at the last hour was Noah Vonley, for, and I've never heard of this guy before, the rights to Serbian center Milikan Reykjavik. And an interesting thing for listeners to know, Reykjavik came to Chicago in an Anthony Tulliver trade with Orlando in 2014. So right there, the Bulls, I think that's going to be my first question for you here, Neil. We, we, we saw a team that's rebuilding last year. I think that was an incredible trade of Jimmy Bowen. Now, it was a big move, but I think a lot of fans have taken to the like the phone lines, radio, everywhere about guard packs. I think we saw a billboard fire guard packs, but... Just as a Bulls fan and as a sports fan, I, res- I like what they're doing with this rebuild. So how do you feel that those trades are impacting the future of this team? What do you think? Well, I, I definitely think everybody thought that Mirotic was going to have to be traded just because you, you want to get rid of his contract and whatnot, and that was the right move. Um, I think I think they made the right decisions. It's definitely my biggest problem, though, is you know they had that little stretch where they started to play better and they started winning games. They're right on the cusp right now where they're not the worst team in the league. So that's not going to only hurt them when it comes to the draft. They'll have a chance to have one of the top two or three picks uh, if they lose more. I I am a believer in this rebuild. I think it needs to happen. Tank mode, yes. Uh, I'm right with you. So I, I really think, I mean, they need to lose solely because... Even if you're really bad and you get the ninth overall pick, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a nice pick to have in the draft. But my issue is, 
I think to be able to get a superstar, especially in this draft class, and this draft class has a lot of potential players that could be big big name players in the future here in the league. But that those picks, those big name future franchise guys, are going to be the top five picks, not not number nine. You're going to get a great player if you have the ninth overall pick. Probably yeah. going to be a great NBA player, have a good career, but. I don't know if he's going to be a franchise-changing player. If you have a top-five pick, you're going to have a better chance to maybe get one of those guys that can lead your team, you can build around, and, and maybe have a chance to get the, to the NBA Finals again. That's my biggest problem. So I, they need to start losing. I mean, you get rid of Miritich, that's going to help them lose some games here down the stretch, and then you can only hope crazier things happen in the NBA draft lottery. I mean, uh, we talked about it a little bit last night, too, uh, on our show, The Red Zone. Uh, the Bulls, I think it was it the Derrick Rose year, they didn't have a very good chance to have that number one pick. They only yeah. had like a 3% chance, and they still got it. So crazier things can happen, don't get me wrong, but losing more games is going to help your help your chances of getting that you know number one, number two, number three pick. So there, there's still a lot of games left. We're kind of nearing that all-star break, and then by the time you know it, blink in the eye the season's over but we'll see I mean I, I want them to have a top five pick to be able to help this rebuild process and I'm going to quote Garam Pax here the younger and more athletic Chicago Bulls I think Neil could back me up on that very well used the Bulls are going to be facing two former players tonight now we've seen that happen with Derrick Rose last year against the New York Knicks at Chicago the Bulls weren't able to pull that one out last season but they have Jimmy Butler Aaron Brooks Taj Gibson coming back with Tom Thibodeau, former head coach of the Bulls. And a lot of fans are wondering. Now it's going to be sold-out stadium. We know that right off the bat. Our good old friend Stevie Riz will be keeping them in line for us there. But the big question here, we saw Derrick Rose play a big career game last year for the Knicks against Chicago Bulls. You could say that with Jimmy Butler and Gibson, but I think Gar and Pax are going to have – now we know they have the video tributes, but I think – Fred Hoiberg's team's in a better spot to maybe upset those two players in this TLS team. What do you think about tonight's game? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have a good chance. It's always a good opportunity when you play at home in front of a United Center. It is crazy. I mean, the Bulls, who haven't been very good the last few years, I mean, they still are one of the best attended teams in the league. I mean, they always seem to fill that United Center, and the people love their Chicago Bulls basketball. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. And like you mentioned, it's always fun when you have some of those former players, and Jimmy Butler, who, who really did a lot for that team while he was here, Taj Gibson as well. Uh, it's always fun to have those guys come back. And then, as you mentioned as well, former head coach Tom Thibodeau, who I think there are people that you know really liked what Tibbs did while he was here. I'm sure there were people that you know weren't the biggest fan. But it, it's nice to have those guys come back to the city, get to play a game against them. And like you said, it, it would be huge if they were able to pick up the win against those guys. I think they'll have a good chance tonight. I just wonder you know, if Jimmy Butler – maybe comes in with a little uh, little fire you know, un under his feet, ready to go, because it is. When you come back to a team that you used to play on, you want to probably play pretty well against them. So should be a good game, and hopefully the Bulls play well tonight. As Neil mentioned, the Chicago Bulls will be facing a lot of former adversity and players that used to be on their end. It will be an 8.30 tip-off from the good old United Center in Chicago. Fans hopefully will stay warm there as well. So we are going to touch briefly on the Chicago White Sox. They are still working through their MLB offseason. They are in the headlines, reportedly hiring former Cardinals pitching coach extraordinaire to join the great Don Cooper. That was a very big move for the White Sox. And the Chicago Cubs are, I think we're going to, I'm going to touch on it briefly with you here, Neil. I think it's a really interesting topic with where players are going. Now, I have to ask you, what do you think of this new free agent spring training. I think it's pretty darn exciting. Yeah, we actually, I got to talk about it today. I went on TV 10 here at ISU with uh, Nick Landy and Nate Head from the Vedette. 
Uh, we we touched on it a little bit, pardon me. Uh, it's interesting because some of these free agents are holding out because there are a lot of owners that aren't, you know, giving these players the contracts they want. Agents are saying, hey, you're lowballing us. This is not how much, you know, my, my player is worth. I mean, guys like Jake Arrieta, J.D. Martinez, you uh, Darvish, all guys that haven't signed a contract yet. And you talked about it, the new free agency stuff. And those guys, I mean, it's great. I think it's two days, pitchers and catchers report uh, down to the down spring, to spring training. training. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy to think as well. But uh, those guys who haven't signed, there's actually going to be a camp down in Florida. I can't remember where. I was reading earlier where it was. I heard, yeah, Arizona or Florida. Yeah, Arizona, Florida, those two spots where they're going to have camps for guys that haven't signed yet. So they're still able to work out, uh, keep their game sharp. So I think it's interesting. I, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't, and I'm not putting any blame on the players really or, or really the teams. I think I'm putting more blame. If I'm going to put blame anywhere, probably on the owners more because I think they're being cheap. They don't want to pay the money. And I think these players are, you know, well deserve the money that they, that they should be getting paid because they're professional athletes. Exactly. Um, Could not agree more. Yeah. Don't be surprised if, yeah, they'll probably go here. It's going to get a lot of coverage because it's, it's interesting. We haven't seen, I mean, this happened before. Uh, I think back in the nineties, they kind of had something where a lot of players uh, weren't signing because they weren't liking the contracts they were getting, but don't be surprised if they go down there, they're there for a week or two. And then all of a sudden these guys start signing for teams because in the end, they're athletes, they want to play, they want to be able to compete you know, with a group of guys and have a chance to win a World Series. So uh, it's definitely something that's been in the media and is interesting to look at. And now it's just where are some of these top guys going to go? Because there are still a lot of big name free agents that have not picked a team. And that could really you know, affect a lot of things here because we don't know where they're going to go. And we will see that move forward as Chicago Cubs are looking at a few of those players, Neil. We will keep fans updated and listeners here on Will's Fifth Quarter Special with any White Sox and Cubs offseason updates as they arise, as we know in baseball. Expect the unexpected. Now heading into the fabled segment, it's Will's Sports Movie Moment. We all have our favorite moments, not just in the sports we watch, but in our own favorite sports movies. This segment will give myself, my guest host, and the listeners a chance to pick their favorite moment from their favorite sports movie and compare it to modern day sports. Listeners can hop onto the podcast, Facebook, and Twitter page and post their own sports movie moment favorites. Neil, I'm going to start with this one here. I think we were talking about a lot of players facing adversity and keeping it up. I think I'm going to go to Rocky Three. I'm going to go to a real classic. A lot of listeners might know Rocky Three. You might want to watch this one. You know, he's facing Clubber Lang in that first fight. That was, I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing with, if you compare it to, you know, where the Redbirds are. You know, the, that, 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 that energy that Rocky came with in the movie, that represents where the Redbirds were last year. And the scene that I'm going to pick is he's training with his old opponent, now friend, Apollo Creed, and his wife comes up to him. Now they're on the beach, real nice scenic spot in the 80s there. Got to love the classics there. And she's asking him, I got, why are you doing this? And you're, as a viewer, you're wondering, okay, he's trying to train to, you know, get better, maybe beat, win that rematch. But the really surprising thing was he was on a rant. You know, they were both yelling, yelling match between the couple. But then he says, for the first time in my life, I'm afraid. And I think that that, that conversation was just really interesting, not just as a sports fan, but just for inspiration. I think I'm going to compare that to... You know, he won the fight in the end of the movie. A little spoiler there, guys. He beat Clubber Lang. Um, sorry about that. But um, if you look at these teams we talked about here today, Neil, the Bears, you know, the Eagles, the Redbird teams, and the Bulls, I think those are the ones we're going to hit on there with this. They're facing adversity, whether it be a rebuild, trying to win again, or just winning and trying to keep it going. I think 
for those fans that are following these teams, there's hope still. That rebuild, it takes a while, but look what the Chicago Cubs did. If you could do that, you can do anything in this sport. So I think that, as my sports movie won't, that'll be my comparison for sports fans here. So, Mr. Doyle, what do you have for us this well, afternoon? Well, I'm going to kind of stay on that same train, kind of battling adversity. And that's, when you think of sports, there's a that always kind of gets brought up. That's a, that's a common theme you see a lot. You know, a team with battling adversity, whether it be you're trying to rebuild or... You know, you're facing injuries, kind of like as we've talked about throughout, you know, the the podcast here today. I mean, all of those teams you mentioned, you know, the Redbird basketball team battling adversity now with injuries. A movie I'm gonna throw out there. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. Well, the greatest game ever played. Uh, it's a it's a golf movie. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Right? Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually based on a true story uh, back in like the early 1900s of. Uh, this kid who used to be a caddy at, at one of the country clubs, I, can't, I think out in Massachusetts, I want to say, but I could be wrong there. Don't don't quote me on that. Uh, and his name is Francis We Met, and he you know didn't grow up in a very you know wealthy family. Kind of you know his family works hard, hard working class, uh, but he caddies and he loves the game of golf. Uh, is a pretty good golfer as a you know young kid in high school, and he actually gets asked to play in the U.S. Open, one of the, one of the major championships, and has to qualify for it, doesn't qualify, ends up giving up the game because his dad doesn't want him to play golf anymore. Two or three years later, they ask him to play play in the U.S. Open as an amateur, which, you know, there's always amateurs, not professionals that play. So he gets asked to play. He basically, long story short, does, and, and his dad doesn't like it, and he says, all right, after you play, you can move out of the house because he, he doesn't think he's good, doesn't That's think he's going to win. pretty yeah. Yeah, and so he says, I'm doing it. He actually ends up going against two of the top professional players, and one of his uh, heroes, Harry Varden, who was a very good golfer, played against him, actually ends up winning the tournament, wins the U.S. Open as the amateur, first ever player as an amateur to win a major championship. And at the end of the movie, it's a great scene. It makes me, you know, gets me going every time. His dad actually comes to the course and, uh, you know, congratulates him in the end. So, you know, kind of battling that adversity as we've talked about, that's kind of my, my sports movie, one of my favorites. I can watch that movie. No, it sounds day, really great. Any day of the yeah. week. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Great. I recommend it, Will. And I think a lot of fans, uh, I'm going to make a golf joke here. I'm not much of the golf uh, enthusiast here. Glad yeah. Neil is, though. Yeah. Uh, fans will have to put out and check that movie <laughs> out. Go to the stores. Hit up the Walmart on campus, wherever you got to go. Love it. Continue to reach out to us on the... Will's fifth quarter special Facebook page and our website contacting page. That'll be williamdfarlow.weebly.com, all lowercase, no space. We are now also on Snapchat at willfarlow, all lowercase, no space, 44. And our Twitter page, that is at williamdfarlow. I want to thank our guest host, Neil Dorr, for joining me in what was a fun 30 minutes talking sports. So thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. I'm a little under the weather, but thanks for having me. Well, you beat the snow there. We're <laughs> glad you did that. When the fourth quarter buzzer sounds, turn us to your fifth quarter sports talk. I'm your host, Will Farlow, and my guest host, Neil Doyle, saying so long and keep those hats and gloves warm down here on the campus of Illinois State. So long from Will's fifth quarter special.